in Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 17, and we will read through verse 2 of chapter 5. Word of our Lord from the epistle says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. Put off, therefore, concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but, a, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Let's pray. Almighty God, Truly, to know you is everlasting life. Grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You know, time is a funny thing. In the words of screw tape, from the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis talked about time and the predicament of the nature of time and how time is constantly fleeting. And he talked about those who live in the future. 
always looking forward to tomorrow, always looking forward to what might be, or always pressing toward what might become of the next day, always planning, always scheming. He said, the interesting thing is the future of all principles of time is the most uncertain because it's not here yet. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what next week holds. We don't know what this afternoon holds. We know what we have planned. But often those plans are ruined or simply are changed. And so there are those who live in the future and therefore live in uncertainty. He said there are those who live in the past, always looking back, always thinking about what once was, always thinking about what life was like in simpler times and what life was like as a child. Typically, we get to this type of living later on in life. We're looking back upon the legacy that we're leaving. We're looking back upon fun memories and tough memories. The interesting thing there is the past is actually the most definite part of time. Because it actually happened. Those memories are real. They're kind of tangible. But the will of God is that we live in the present which is precarious because time is always fleeting. It is always slipping out of our hands. It is always slipping through our fingers like sand that we're trying to hold. It is constantly moving and it is extremely difficult to live now in the present. But that is the will of God in Christ for us. And it takes for us as believers what I would call the skills of faith and hope. Because it does take a measure of skill to live by faith. Not as though that's something that we're able to conjure up and work on, but it is something that we are able to yield ourselves to the hand of God so that He might form in us. It's difficult to live with hope. Because hope is always founded upon the past. What God has already done. How He has been faithful to us. How He has always met our needs. How He has always done such and such. How He has always used this person or that person. But the eyes of hope and faith are always also looking forward. If God has done this, then certainly He will do that. But we're called to live now. To live in the present. To live in the now. I've titled this sermon, Living in the Future Because of the Past. Not as though I'm trying to get us out of the will of God. But there's a certain element in which living now means living as though the future is already coming about. As though the future is already certain because of what God has done to redeem His people. Paul tells the Ephesians, he says, no longer live as the rest of the world lives. He would remind them, you once lived there yourselves. You were ignorant. 
you're dead. You're lost. He says no longer live that way. He, he brings up this idea of the old man. And he says the old man and his ways. And notice the characteristic traits of those sins that he lists. They're all about self and self-serving. All about meeting my needs and my wants and what I want to get my hands on. I think that one of the most interesting words he uses is to work all uncleanness with greediness. There's a level of dirtiness with our sense of grasping at what we want in life. This is the individual who sees others as a means to his own ends. Life is about me, what I want, how I want it, and when I want it. That's really the nature of lust. Lust is always grasping. It is always taking, grabbing. But we're called to live in love, which is always giving. Lust is always interested in self and what I get out of this. And love is always interested in its object. Not like a thing to be possessed, but the object of one's love. The, be, the, the beloved. He says no longer live that way. No longer live that old life. That life of that old man and his ways. And he calls them to live the life of the new man, but the context in which he calls them to live this new life, this new way of living, is the context of the church. Because it is in the church that we are learning to live for the sake of others. It underscores the pages of the New Testament. This idea of Church. This idea of an assembled body that God has put together to be His presence in the world. It underlies every single page of the New Testament. Which is extremely difficult today. Because it seems like every single day not just as a pastor, but as a, just a Christian thinker who's trying to be faithful to the Scriptures and faithful to what uh, the will of God is. It, is it, it seems as though every time we turn around, every, every direction in which I look, I feel as though there's this need to justify the existence of the church, the importance of the church. Why there is a church. Why it's important that we meet. Why it's important that we gather. Why worship matters. Can't I just worship on my own and in my own time? Can't I just be around the people I want to be around and forget everyone else? Can't I just go where everything else is happening? It's interesting. We have, um, we have two 
poles, two polar ends in the church-related thinking of our culture. And one is that attendance at a church is what the Christian life is all about. You know, you're a Christian if you go to church on Sundays. And you'd better be there on time. And you'd better sing. Or if you're not going to sing, you better hold a hymnal. Look like you're singing. And that's what the Christian life is about. It's got nothing to do with love for neighbor. It's got nothing to do with sacrifice. It's got nothing to do with denying self. It is simply you just show up. You know, you block off an hour a week and you've got that checklist moving along. And that's what it means to be a Christian. But then you've got another end of that, of that, of that pole, another polar end. It basically says, no, the Christian life is just you living a good life following Jesus. And it doesn't matter about the church. It, the body of Christ is largely irrelevant. Because Jesus just wants to use you to do good things in the world. And He's using all sorts of other people to do good things in the world. So you guys just get together whenever you want to do good things in the world. But this idea of the church is assumed by Paul. It is assumed by John. It is assumed by Peter. It is assumed all throughout the New Testament. It is assumed by the early church. And it was assumed by John Wesley when he said that there is no such thing as a private faith. He said there is only a social gospel. And we might think, wait a minute, what's he talking about? That's liberalism. What he meant was there is only a gospel in the context of other people. In the context, our faith is to be lived out in community with one another. It is not something that we keep in our pockets privately to ourselves. It is something that is lived out in a community of believers. It's like being a part of a family. You've got to have a family to be a part of a family. You don't just randomly pick who you want to be family with and spend some time with that, this family because they're your family and then spend some other time with that family because they're your family. You know, living as part of a family is... It takes sacrifice. It takes denial. Self-denial. It takes truth and honesty. Paul calls for it here. Speak truth to one another. Paul tells us that our minds need to be challenged. He says that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. It sounds kind of weird and Eastern. He's talking about here a transformed life and a transformed way of seeing life. A transformed way of viewing the world. 
A transformed way of viewing others. Seeing others not as pawns in our game, not as means toward our end, but seeing others as objects of our love. Seeing others as those created in the image of God and those for whom Christ has died. Seeing others as a part of who we are. Not in some collective social conscious sense, but in the sense of self-giving love. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. As Paul is speaking to the church, he emphasizes this new way of living and this new way of seeing by challenging the church on a couple of fronts. And the first is in relationship to the body of Christ. He says, we are members of one another. He says that in the context of speaking truth to one another. And then he follows that with how we are to deal with our anger. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. But he appeals to us, we are members of one another. We are a part of one another's lives. We are being shaped by one another. We are being challenged by one another. We are being aggravated by one another. And God is using one another in our lives to bring about the love and character of Christ. He says, quit stealing. It's it's funny how like how practical and like down to earth Paul sometimes gets in those New Testament letters. Quit lying to each other and quit stealing. And he says, quit stealing and earn some income so that you can help those who are in need. That's interesting. The meeting of needs. He's talking here about physical or financial needs being met by those of us who are members of one another. He challenges also our words to one another. He wants those words to be filled with truth and to be filled with grace. How we speak to one another ought to be gracious and truthful. 
not rude, not cutting, not deceitful. He gives a a small list of those things that ought to characterize our interactions with one another. With one another, our actions ought to be characterized by kindness, by gentleness, and by forgiveness. Notice he's talking about the shape of the life of the body. And how it is to be lived out, not for self, but for others. Lived out in love. As God is created, is creating in His people the character and nature of Christ. And He appeals to us not just according to being the body of Christ, but He appeals to us also according to the Spirit of Christ. We are called to be renewed by the Spirit. He tells them, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He talks about getting rid of bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, getting rid of it. Put it away. Including all malice. As the Spirit is working in our lives and in the church, He is bringing about the fruit of Christ in our midst. And therefore we ought not to grieve Him. We should give Him free reign in our lives to shape us and to mold us, to remake us. Because ultimately, we are called to be imitators of God. We're to be imitators of God as His dear children, after all, He's made us a part of His family, we ought to act like members of the family. Kind of draws our mind back to that idea of a name in the Old Testament. The name is the character. It is the nature. It says something about who this person is. And the name of God is something that is holy. And those who bear His name ought to themselves also be holy. Because the family is holy. He is holy. And so, as dear children, we ought to imitate God. We ought to pretend to be like Dad. We ought to be trying to fill His shoes. Not because we can, but because we ought. No, we won't ever be able to be... No one will ever be able to look at us and say, there's God. But they ought to be able to look at us and say, there's someone who's trying desperately to be like God. 
it's silly and it's cliche, but it happens. I'll be in the kitchen washing dishes and I look over and lo and behold, Topher, 22 months old, sitting on his diapered bottom in the middle of the kitchen trying to get my big flip-flops on his feet. <coughs> and trying to stand up and walk around. And he could go get his own shoes. No, he wants to put on daddy's shoes. That's kind of the appeal that Paul is making here. Be imitators of God because you are His children. Start acting like the family. And not just as dear children, but even as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. So His appeal to be imitators of God is underscored because we're, we've been brought into the family, but also because of what Christ has done for us. And our loving imitation of God ought to be in response to what Christ has done for us. you may or may not be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with the future? And what in the world does this have to do with the past? You know, Easter is a, is a time... It is a day and it is a season in which we declare something bold about the past. We declare that Christ rose from the dead. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And it is also a declaration about the future. And He sits at the Father's right hand making intercession for us as the liturgy says, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. That declaration of the past and the present and the future is what shapes the character of the church. That God has redeemed us in Christ. And He will therefore bring that redemption to its full completion at some point in the future. And therefore today, we live as imitators of God, as people who have been redeemed, as people who Christ has raised up. The church is the place in the world in which the past and the present and the future all come together. We are pretenders in some sense. We are living as though the world has been put back together. Because in some measure, it has. God has redeemed us. God has done something in His Son Jesus. He rose Him from the dead. 
And He will raise us up too. And so we live now in the midst of hurt, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of the disappointments in life. Life did not work out like I planned it to. Man, this week was a mess. Man, my friends' lives are falling apart. And I just want to do something. We live in the midst of that disappointment and brokenness and hurt and pain and sorrow. We live in the midst of an internet that is filled with videos of horrible evils that are done around the world and we wring our hands and say, what can we do? Is there nothing we can do? But it's in the church that God is developing a bunch of imitators of Himself. People living as though Christ has indeed died, Christ indeed is risen, and Christ indeed will come again. And if that is nothing more than a sermon on Sunday morning, shame on the church. If that doesn't change our Mondays, even when we're having a case of the Mondays, if that doesn't transform our week, then we are failing to be the church. We are failing to be the church. If our good news isn't more than just some three-pointed or two-pointed proclamation on a Sunday morning. The Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper said, there's not a single square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ Jesus, who is Lord of all, does not cry out, Mine. And Chuck Colson added his commentary. And so, there's not a single square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which we, as the followers of Christ, do not cry out His. When Daniel and I were talking earlier in the week about the service, I told him I would be be preaching and connecting Easter to eschatology and ecclesiology. Eschatology is the study of the end, what's going to happen out in the future, or how God is going to bring about the fullness of redemption. Ecclesiology is about who is the church, what is the nature of the church, how does the church live, what does the church do, what is the church? I told him I'm going to be connecting those two huge principles, those two huge spheres of thought to Easter. And the only way I can measure up doing that is to tell you that we are called today to live as though the future is already certain because of what Christ has done to redeem us. And if we're not living that way in this world, in our lives, this week, we are not being the church. 
that does not dismiss us from participation in the body. That challenges us to do more than just attend. We must be the church in the world. We must live with one another as though Christ indeed is risen. That means, as you've shown me and my family, everything hits the ceiling fan and folks are just pulling up. How can we help? What can we do? Folks out of town even are making phone calls, trying to get folks involved. That means when life is falling apart, we do something. Even if it's just to weep with those who weep. But we do something. So I want to challenge you to do something. To be the body of Christ to someone in need. Someone who is a believer, but someone who's shut in and can't get out to church. You've done it before. On May the 23rd, that's just in three weeks from yesterday. Yes, three weeks from yesterday. I want to challenge you to meet me here at 9 a.m. And together we'll ride over to Mr. Hallowell's house. And he's got some work that needs to be done on this house, inside and out. And I want to challenge you in that tangible way. Show the love of Jesus. Be the body of Christ to someone who is hurting and in need. Because after all, we are members of one another. And we are to be shaped and renewed by the Spirit of God because Christ has died. Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Let's be imitators. Let's pray. Father, as we read Scripture, And as we sing songs that speak of even how all nature is longing for the fullness of redemption. And how even in nature you are praised. Lord, we pray that you would make us to so long for the fulfillment of the hope that You have put in our hearts. To live in praise. To live in declaration. To live in faithfulness for what You're going to do. Lord, we pray that You would make us to be like the trees that clap their hands for salvation. We pray that You would make us to be like the mountains that are 
brought low so that the valleys might be filled. We pray that you would make us to be like the birds of the air who just trust in you and who sing songs of beauty. Lord, we are surrounded by a world that cries out that Jesus is Lord. Make us, as His body, to be people who declare to one another in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our disappointments and tragedy, that He is indeed Lord. That He will indeed carry us on Lord, enable us to be imitators of You. To be members of one another. To not live for ourselves, but to live for one another. And to live for the sake of the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.